Hello and welcome back to the Stuck In Between podcast. My name is Romy. And I'm Sandin. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to the last episode of Season 1 of Stuck In Between, a three-part health series to wrap up the year and kickstart 2022 on the right foot. Yeah, over the next three weeks, we'll be chatting with South Asians who are doing some amazing things in the health space, including founder of Get Fit Janani and the Indian dance school Janani Beadle on the topic of fitness, and freedom and emotional resilience coach Nero Dayalan on unlocking our mindset. In the first instalment of this series, we're joined by Dr. Annika Rofe. As a practicing dietitian, Annika discusses the importance of diet and nutrition, unpacks some misconceptions and stigmas when it comes to healthy eating in South Asian communities, and shares some simple but effective tips and tricks for a balanced diet, plus plenty more. Yeah, we learned so much from Annika and have already started making some changes to our eating habits since we recorded with her. And just a quick heads up that we did this recording in lockdown, so if you hear any reference to that, that's obviously why. Now onto the episode. And again, thank you so much for joining us today. We were hoping to do this interview in person, but unfortunately COVID had other plans. But, you know, thank you for being flexible and doing this call with us. Thanks so much for having me. It's excited to chat. Um, For our listeners, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So um, my name's Annika and I live in Sydney, Australia. So my background is... Bengali and I've sort of been living here for most of my life so I came here like when I was in year four so yeah it's been actually end of end of year four so yeah and I'm a dietitian so my educational background would be mostly around dietetics so I started off doing biomedical science and I wanted to sort of work with people rather than working in a lab so then I switched to dietetics which is more of a people sort of uh, role um, and yeah so then I became a dietitian but then I sort of liked research and then I thought oh why not give this a go so then I started doing my PhD um, which is looking at using social media to improve eating habits of young adults and obviously PhD you know takes a couple of years so I finished that and then now I work um, in private practice I do some teaching and then I also do a bit of work in the media as a media spokesperson for Dietitian Australia. That's awesome. That's amazing. So what ignited your passion in pursuing dietetics? So I know you said that you wanted to work with people, but why this particular field, especially being of South Asian background? I feel like maybe there aren't many of us in this field. I could be wrong, um, but what kind of ignited your passion in it? Yeah, you're exactly right, Romy. There's not a lot of representation. Uh, certainly wasn't in our class back then. And then now, you know, even when I'm teaching now, I can see that there's not a lot of people from South Asian backgrounds. Uh, so it is not as common, I suppose. Um, I think what ignited my passion was probably the fact that I really liked cooking. And um, that was sort of as a kid, like as a teenager, I would sort of enjoy cooking. And I was always sort of trying to make things healthier. And my parents would tease me and say, you know, oh, you know, you're not adding that much oil or whatever, you know, it's not going to taste good. Or mm. I was always looking for shortcuts as well. So why are you sort of doing it this way rather than that way? So I think um, I realized that the way that I did things, especially in the kitchen, was a little bit different to what I did, um, I guess, what would have traditionally been done. So I think my approach was a bit different and I actually liked cooking and I liked that connection between food and health. That's something I really um, thought was quite important. So yeah, so that's why I think I was like, oh, I love food and you know, I do like helping people, talking to people. So why not help people through food? 
That's awesome. Because I don't think a lot of people in their younger years make that connection of how important it is to eat yeah. healthy. So it's crazy that at such a young age, you're able to identify that and recognize that you were so passionate about it to pursue it as a career. That's yeah, awesome. definitely. I guess finding finding my way wasn't always so easy because, you know, it's not something that people talk about. So I didn't even know there was a sort of course for this. So it was only like I was looking at all sorts of other degrees and then stumbled upon the dietetics and I was like oh what is that can you help people through food like it was just like I had entered this new world and I was like oh wow that there's actually a thing so I can totally do this yeah. but yeah I think I just made I found it in time so I think that's all that matters better late than never though right <laughs> oh yes of course yeah um so what does your work look like kind of day-to-day working with clients what does that involve So my work's quite mixed at the moment. So the work that I do with clients um, is with like private practice. And a lot of these clients come from GPs. So there's the, there's, you know, the chronic diseases that people need help with. So there's cardiovascular disease um, prevention, like, you know, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, diabetes, all that sort of stuff. Um, And then there's also some people who obviously need help with weight management. So losing weight seems to be probably another big reason that people do get referred and um, with my social media or my virtual practice what I do is a little bit different I'm more focused um, around women's health and I think that's something that I sort of found to be I guess my area Mm. so I work around sort of fertility pregnancy like prenatal postnatal uh, nutrition uh, there's obviously weight management, which can be um, like I'm being underweight or overweight. So both sides of the spectrum, um, like PCOS, endometriosis, all these other conditions that people might have, especially sort of in their young adulthood. So mainly dealing with young adults and with women as well. Yeah. Wow. That's such an array of things as well. I mean, you don't realize how many like that connection between your physical health and the food you're consuming too. I mean, you're talking about things like PCOS, which is so common among women. And it's so eye-opening to know that things like your diet can really help manage, you know, other diseases you may have or other illnesses you may have from a physical point of view as well. Um, Obviously, you mentioned briefly your Instagram page and what you're doing through your social media. Mm. You put on super, super useful tips and really try to get to know your audience. And your PhD is obviously on using social media for your diet um, and spreading that awareness. Could you talk to a little bit about that and how you stumbled upon using social media for this and um, how you really navigated that? Yeah, of course. So, um, yeah, that's a funny story there. So I was like super, like I was a big introvert growing up and, um, you know, putting my face on social media, like having a public profile is not something I would have ever imagined myself um, that, you know, that I'd be doing. So I think I started probably 2016. That's when I started my PhD. But towards the end, I was like, oh, you know, since I'm doing research on social media, why not have a go at seeing what is out there? I'll go have a look and make an account. Um, so that was really sort of a scary process for me. And even though I had started my account, I wasn't actually sort of Uh, you know, posting my face or anything. It was just me posting pictures of food because I like doing food photography and just talking about that balanced approach, just, you know, very sort of basic stuff um, that people might need help with. Um, I wasn't sort of very targeted or strategic. I was just posting and I was scared to show my face because I was like, oh, this is so overwhelming. I don't want to do that. And it took me like years to sort of overcome. And I think it's still a work in progress. So 
Um, that took a lot of time. Um, and then obviously with my PhD, it was more focused around using Facebook and text messages. So I guess I could have gone without using it. Um, but I just was curious to know like what is sort of, I guess, the role that social media um, has um, or, you know, what sort of, I guess, the positives and the negatives, what is out there. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting and I think it's a good decision you made to go on there because, um, I mean, I'm sure it's difficult with trolls and, and oh, stuff yeah. like that. But at, yeah, I've, I've seen you post a bit about that too. But um, I think outside of that, the positivity that comes up and the usefulness of the things you post, I think outweighs anything else. And, you know, I'm sure it makes an impact on people's lives genuinely when they see the stuff you post up sure. on there. Um I guess talking about um, having a healthy diet. I mean, it seems quite obvious. It is important to have a healthy diet as well as a balanced diet. Could you talk to the importance of that? Because we often kind of say for older people, you know, it's important that they have a healthy diet because they are a little bit older. But even for younger people, people our age or even young kids, um, could you talk to that importance of a healthy diet and what a balanced diet means to you? Sure. So a balanced diet um, is something that I guess I try and talk a lot about on my Instagram. And a lot of people, you know, it does sound very simple, just, you know, have your carbs, have your protein, have your veggies, like, you know, that balanced approach. And obviously a little bit of the extra foods that you actually really enjoy, like chocolate or something. Um, but a lot of people have this sort of restrictive approach when it comes to eating. So I think it, even though, you know, it might sound old news or whatever, it's still, it's still relevant because people still feel that need to cut out foods, cut out certain food groups from their diet. And I think um, this is more from, you know, I guess what uh, diet culture has taught us. Um, and yeah, so I think there's a lot to unlearn and that's what makes it really hard for people to have a balanced diet because they have all these other things that they've been told and they're trying to unlearn and then, you know, move towards a different path. Mm, yeah, that's so interesting. And that unlearning bit is, is so true because all your life you're taught one thing or, you know, you're craving certain foods and you're just used to kind of fulfilling that craving in sort of an unhealthy way. Um, I, I guess when it comes to the clientele, I know you said you see a lot of young adults, but do you see many South Asians um, or people of South Asian background come see you? Yeah, I have quite a few South Asians um, coming and I think, yeah, some of them are from Instagram. I think on Instagram, I do have a more of a South Asian following and I see that they have, I guess, different uh, sort of struggles and, you know, a lot of it is related to diet culture and some of it is sort of being around, you know, people are just telling you things that, you know, why don't you go and do this? But I think that's just sort of something that applies for everyone. Yeah, because I mean, even we found like South Asian food, if you look at the roots, right? And I know San and York, like grandma grew up on a farm, like you could probably talk to this as well, but it's traditionally super healthy. Like it's all like homegrown, you know, no preservatives, there's use of spices and herbs, which have so many benefits that, you know, somehow South Asians have uncovered even before the Western world have. But then I feel like you see it where there's that changing relationship with food, especially like if, you know, if I go back to Sri Lanka um, and we, you know, Sandra and I spoke about this in a previous episode as well. Um, you see like this fascination with Western food and like fast food and the rejection of 
or the really great food that's available in, in those countries itself, um, even within South Asia, and then obviously that brought to the Western world here. Um, do you see that happen with your clientele, kind of that rejection of all that really good food that comes in South Asian culture um, and kind of fascination with more Western food? I think that's probably more of something that I've seen like in those countries that, as you said, you're going back to Sri Lanka. So I think I saw that like going back to Bangladesh, um, that people are very fascinated with Western foods. And especially this is more people who are from high socioeconomic status, that they think that Western food, which is, I guess, predominantly fast food, what they get there is superior to the desi or the traditional food that they used to eat. So they're sort of switching, Mm. you know, the kids are more into eating these foods and as a result I think you have a lot of people who are sort of going into that overweight category and then there are a lot of people who are not getting enough so there's this sort of imbalance so you're seeing the extreme of both yeah it's crazy so when the rare occasions where my grandma will come to the shops with us um, she has a bit of a shock realizing how much preservative there are in food and how much plastic is used as well Um, So that, I think, doesn't click for me thinking about how much we're actually consuming of things that we probably shouldn't um, until you do have that comparison to say, you know, how pure and authentic the food and the cooking was back in the day compared to what it is now. Mm. As migrants, what do you see as um, some of the issues in our communities in terms of health and diet when we look at South Asian communities in particular? So I think the one point that you already brought out was the fact that a lot of people are switching to Western diets, thinking that um, it may be superior. And when they are switching, they're not switching to the, I guess, uh, the better version of the Western diet, which might be like a home-cooked meal. What they are switching to is something that they would get at a shop like KFC or McDonald's, you know, like more falling into that fast food category. So I think that's number one. Um, Number two um, would be, I think, the fact that they're sort of falling for this uh, approach of wanting to sort of get quick results just because I guess someone uh, may have made comments on their body or just because, you know, they think they should be looking a certain way. And this is something that goes more for women that, you know, there's this, I guess, idea of women or I guess daughter-in-law, you know, looking a certain way, that appearance is very important. And that's their main reason for losing weight. And it's something that they want to do fast. So that really sort of drastic approach. Um, And then I guess uh, the thing would be around just kind of counting calories, but that sort of goes for a lot of other people as well, like not just South Asians that that need to kind of, you know, just be very accurate with, you know, doing that whole calorie counting approach or just being very sort of restrictive with their diet um, just to get those results really quickly. Yeah, that makes sense. And I guess flowing on from that, if you look at South Asian cuisine in particular, what are some of the more healthy foods that are used as ingredients and what kind of health issues can they potentially lead to down the track? I think the number one that comes to mind would be oil. Uh, we do have a tendency to use higher amounts of oil compared to, I guess, what would be a healthy amount. And sometimes people also don't pay attention to the type as well. You know, they might just use a type of oil that's not 
necessarily considered to be the best. So I think people get that wrong. And the other thing that again comes with the oil would be there's a bit of deep frying that happens as well. So that's something that uh, is not going to be good in the long run, especially with oil use. Mm. There's greater calories. People are taking in more um, because oil is in a fat. So if you're taking in through curries, eventually people are likely to gain weight and also have elevated cholesterol. So I think that oil use would be the number one. In terms of other unhealthy ingredients, I mean, there's there's sweets, um, but you know, I think sweets are sort of different because I think sweets have a place in our culture and in our diet as well. But obviously, you know, there are people who will eat a lot of sweets, um, you know, more than the sort of recommended amount on a day-to-day basis. And that's when these sweets become a problem and lead to weight gain because with Indian sweets or Desi sort of sweets, they do tend to be quite sugary Mm. and they're usually quite intense. And if you're eating a lot sort of on a regular basis rather than making it a sometimes thing, that's when it can also become a problem. Mm. For sure. I feel like whether it be with meals or with sweets, a problem within our culture is kind of overindulgence. Yeah, that's so true. Because food is obviously such a big part of our culture. So it's just like spreads and spreads of food, but also overindulging on that. Mm. Sorry, yeah, I was just going to say, oh, there's another um, thing that I do see with, I guess, South Asians and uh, maybe other people as well, is that they think if you just you know, maybe have one sweet today, your day is ruined. You know, you might as just have everything else that you want to have today and then just be, start fresh from tomorrow. Mm. So I think that there's that approach as well. And a lot of people, you know, think that, oh, you know, I'll just do whatever on the weekends. Um, and then, you know, diet starts from Monday. And then so, you know, they have this more of a restrictive approach from Monday to Friday. And then when the weekend comes, they, you know, they just let themselves lose. Mm, so there's no moderation in that sense. It's just yeah. all or nothing. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, that all or nothing approach. Mm, Interesting. So I guess speaking of those ingredients, what are some alternative foods, um, particularly in South Asian cuisine and cooking that can be used? um, For example, like, you know, brown rice versus white rice or alternatives for things like coconut milk, which we know a lot of people use. Um, So any other suggestions? Yes, brown rice is is a good one. Um, And I guess brown rice is something that we know, you know, comes with a bit more fiber. It is whole grain. But then again, when you look at the cultural context of our diet, we know white rice, I think, tastes so much better. Like if we're being honest, you know, white rice tastes better. So it doesn't necessarily go with the curries or, you know, it's not going to be perfect. Um, So I wouldn't, you know, if I guess if a lot of people, they have strong preferences to something. And, you know, if they do, um, you know, for example, with rice, I wouldn't sort of get them to switch to a different type of rice just because, you know, it's it's healthier because I think we, uh, white rice is something that we've eaten for a long time and you know something like basmati rice is actually pretty good because it, it's low in gi and uh with jasmine rice a lot of people tend to have jasmine so jasmine can be a high gi but the gi only becomes an issue for those who have diabetes so if you don't have that problem even if you're eating i guess not the best kind of rice it's not going to be a problem um, as long as you're sort of eating it in balanced amount. So I think there's that feeling that people have that, you know, it needs to be perfect. You know, if I'm doing this, I got to do it properly. I got to have the red rice or the, you know, the other sort of brown rice, but it doesn't have to be. It's it's about having the food that you do enjoy. Um, another thing that you mentioned was coconut milk. So with coconut milk, there are actually alternatives. And I think this is an alternative that is worth switching. And it doesn't really make 
that much of a difference in taste in my opinion so there's the lighter uh, variety of coconut milk that you can get at the supermarket so if you're getting that uh for coconut milk or coconut cream, I feel that when you're adding this to curries or any sort of other dishes, it doesn't really stand out that much. Mm. So I think that's that may be a switch that people could do without, um, you know, changing a lot in their diet. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and I think um, to your point around alternatives to coconut milk, I guess that also applies to things like yogurt and buttermilk as well, right? Going for the light yeah. alternative. Um, and I think another thing, if you could speak to, is the concept of portion control. So portion control, I think this is something that a lot of people know it in theory or, you know, they know that, you know, it's supposed to be, you know, some veggies, some carbs, some protein. But when it comes to, I guess, doing it on a daily basis, um, they're either sort of going for more carbs mm. and more protein. Usually uh, the veggies get left out. So um, so I guess there's that um, imbalance. Um, and then the other end of the spectrum would be people who are, you know, going on this diet and, you know, they just feel like, you know, I need to lose, you know, this many kilos um, in 10 or 12 weeks or, you know, whatever. They have this very specific weight-focused goal. Um, and then, you know, they end up cutting out the carbohydrate completely. So they're just going with maybe just protein, like a lot of protein, and then maybe some veg too. But then they're just completely neglecting carbs and they, they've just sort of cut it out completely. Like mm. rice is bad, you know, I don't have rice anymore. That's something I, I hear quite a lot um, where people are coming in and, you know, suddenly they have this idea of wanting to be healthier and they're just like, you know what, I've cut out rice completely. I just eat too much of it. So, you know, they just, it's that all or nothing approach mm. again. And then when that all or nothing approach fails, then it's just back to normal because you've cut a cold turkey um, and then you've just gone back to your old ways because it's too hard. Yeah, usually with these uh, like restrictive diets, people don't tend to sort of follow it for the long run. Um, usually it lasts a few weeks or, you know, might be a few months, but definitely not something you can, um, would mm, last like years. It's not sustainable on a long term. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess in speaking of that, we find in our own experiences, like being surrounded by parents, aunties and uncles, um, that older generations in the South Asian community, they place less emphasis on having a good diet, whether that be they used to have a good one and then they kind of let loose at some point or they don't really, I mean, you said that when you started using less oils, people were like, oh, why are you doing that? Like, you know, that's not how we usually cook. Um, why do you think there is that less emphasis when it comes to having a good diet by those generations? I think the reason is probably because it's something that they've been used to doing um, with the oil, for example. I think it's something that they have watched, you know, other people. They may have seen our grandparents or great-grandparents do. So that's just become the normal for them. Um, the other thing to consider is, yes, you know, people may have had more oil back in the old days, but people were also a lot more active. So there weren't all these cars, you know, people didn't always drive. Um, they often walked to places and um, also with the kitchen as well. I feel like there was a lot more labor involved. So labor that's, you know, just sort of more intense compared to the appliances that we use now. Yeah. And I think the other reason is that the internet wasn't around. So, you know, people were just doing their own thing they didn't see what we see now on instagram about diet culture wanting to cut down certain things they didn't have as much misinformation going on Mm. they were exposed to less information which i think may have been a blessing for them in some ways Mm. they may have gotten a few ideas based on your neighbors or friends and you know their immediate sort of social circle but definitely you know they weren't exposed to all of this Mm. now we see on the internet you know if you want to do something the first thing you do is type on google um and usually 
usually, you know, the searches that people have from Google, the top ones, unless you say something like dietitian or, you know, you look for credible people on the internet, you're likely to find something that's not going to be um, beneficial for you. So I think there's a lot of diet culture that we have going around now and that may have led to people um, potentially, you know, going the wrong way compared to our previous generations. Yeah, you brought up such a good point when it comes to all that physical labor that people did before compared to now. And I think like, for example, even my parents growing up in Sri Lanka, they did a lot of physical work, even when it comes to something as simple as gardening, for example, you know, everything was by hand, there were no lawnmowers and stuff like that. Um, And so people tend to forget how much they were able to consume then because they were also doing so much physical work and continue consuming the same amount even now when they're not doing that much physical work. And I see that firsthand with like my parents, for example, or, you know, like when they used to have really fast metabolisms, but, you know, you're over 50 now, it's not going to be that way anymore. And it's like they can't adjust it almost like even, to, to it, now. Even little things like using a mortar and pestle to grind spices, right? But now it's like all pre-packed and you've got it ready. So, yeah, I think it is a really good point that I didn't really think about how there is that difference in uh, physical labor as well. Yeah. And the other thing I forgot to mention was around, I guess, the availability of uh, the foods in the supermarket. Because back then, you know, when you went to the market, you just went to an open market, you may have bought, they had the whole foods that, you know, you usually purchased and then whatever you needed to make, you probably made from scratch. So there was a lot of that as well. Maybe the sweets, you know, people still bought for special occasions, but I think there wasn't this abundance, you know, that we have now at the supermarkets. You know, you can get whatever you want. Mm. There's a lot of processed foods that are available at the supermarkets. And often, you know, these processed foods are on special too. So people get tempted to buy them just because they are there. Um, And, you know, back in the old days, you know, maybe they would have had some, you know, but not to the variety that we have today. I think certainly now there's a lot more variety, a lot more flavors you know people just go you know it's on sale let's just grab a few yeah that's such a good point and we'll get to that in a little bit as well um because you brought up a really good point there when it comes to foods in supermarkets and what's more accessible or what people think are more accessible um but i guess just the last point on the older generations um do you feel like the emphasis or lack of emphasis on diet is gendered like do you see a difference when it comes to men versus women um and particularly around like i know you said you work with women you know postpartum too. So do you see any sort of differences or stigmas around women wanting to kind of shed baby weight and and stuff like that when it comes to our South Asian community? Yeah, definitely. And I think I see that more with women, Uh, maybe because I work with a lot of women, I'm not sure. But I think just from my own experience as well, I think there's a lot more emphasis on women, you know, having this, I guess, expectation to maintain a certain sort of appearance or, you know, um, being at a certain weight. So I think for women, there's a lot more, um, you know, generally they have a lot more body image issues compared to men. And there's all those, you know, expectations that we see, you know, wanting to, you know, yes, have babies at a certain age, but then also, you know, lose that baby weight and then, you know, look really good. And so I think there's all of that. And another thing about that post-menopausal age is, you know, a lot of women do come in having that issue of weight gain um, just because, you know, they may have changed their activity level or obviously going into that age as well, you know, they feel like they're gaining weight too quickly and they sort of want to go back to the an older version of themselves or just, you know, be a bit healthier. Mm. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, so just flowing on from that, looking at like our South Asian community in particular, I feel like a lot of the time it takes a big health issue, like a heart attack or like a stroke for people to recognize that they need to change their diet. And the general consensus amongst people in our parents and grandparent generation is that they are quite stubborn and they're not willing to unlearn some of the unhealthy diet practices that they have. Um, I think something that we've struggled with definitely in, in my family is trying to get older people to understand the importance of why they need to change their diet and actually executing on that. What are some strategies that you might suggest for younger people to help older people in their families and in their network kind of make the changes that they need to? That's a really good question, you know, because we, we're sort of going back the other way. Obviously, you know, earlier on, we talked about young adults having being that positive role model for, you know, future generations when they do have kids. But we have that ability to help our parents as well, parents and grandparents. And I think, yeah, so it can go both ways. So it's a really important point. I think the best way would be to sort of get them to realize, you know, if they're doing something that may not be beneficial for their health, just telling them, you know, I think this may not be good. You know, I was reading reading about it the other day, for example, you know, if you're seeing them have no no carbs at all, you can see that they're doing a very sort of restrictive approach. Um, I didn't really talk about specific diets, but I know there's a lot of um, fad diets that people follow and, you know, in sort of, I guess, overall, and also in the South Asian community, there's a few like, you know, there's the keto diet, the no carb diet, no sugar diet. So just sort of diets where people are being very restrictive. And I think usually these restrictions are not something that people can sustain in the long run. So just kind of making that point a bit clearer. And the other thing that we can also do is perhaps, you know, cooking things for our parents or grandparents and then, you know, just sort of doing it in a more healthier way. And then they would have thought, you know, they won't like it. But, you know, sometimes I think if you give things a go, they may be surprised and, and then, you know, they might just be like, oh, I didn't even realize yeah. that you use less oil. It doesn't taste much different. That's such a good point. Yeah, yeah. because I think the biggest struggle is um, – you know, them going, oh, what do you know? Like, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing, especially when it comes to unhealthy food practices. But I think that's a really good point in terms of like having or like or showing them more credible resources than just, you know, myself or Sandin, um, or, you know, just your average young person. Um, so showing things online that have come up as well as, um, yeah, cooking things for them. That's a really good point. Yeah, and I think, um, I don't know, this isn't the, probably the best approach, but kind of using other examples to show that if you continue eating the way that you do, then you might end up like this auntie or this uncle who had these issues because they didn't make the right changes when they should have. Yeah, like you're right. It's probably not the best way to go about it. But I know that, you know, when it comes to people listening to someone, you're taking on someone's advice they usually you know if you tell them you know research shows they're just going to be like yeah. uh whatever <laughs> yeah. if you if you tell them you know that auntie who's my friend's <laughs> friend <laughs> that's the credible resource that you yeah, need you know, so you know sometimes you know people just listen to these anecdotal sort of evidence that yeah. where n equals one because you know it just sounds a lot more powerful to them it's someone that they can relate to even it may not be you know you know relative or whatever they can still relate rather than like looking at a study where it might be like n equals 500 or 5000 so i think sometimes you know yes i guess we shouldn't really directly compare people but i think Sometimes it's those sort of N equals one where people are just like, oh my God, you know, that worked for them. I need to try that. Mm. Yeah. So I guess on the topic of diet, um, 
if we look on the flip side of the South Asian community when it comes to the pressures on young people, and I know you've spoken about that, you know, a little bit um, before as well, especially young women, there's a lot of um, mixed messages around what they should look like. And a lot of it does come down to appearance rather than their health internally. So it's always, you know, oh, you're too skinny or you're too chubby. Like there's always just comments being flung about when it comes to the way they look or their weight. Um, Do you see a lot of clients come in because of this? And what's your message or advice to someone who is experiencing that? Yep, definitely. I do see a lot of women having that body image issue. It's something that I think we get from our family, like our social circle, family, friends, and then also the social media as well. So all of that environment is sort of giving us that message that, you know, you might be too chubby. And usually it is the people who are overweight that get this, you know, I think most of the time people are, you know, sort of celebrated for being skinny, you know, it's just like, oh my God, you are so skinny. I wish I could eat like you. So I think sometimes, you know, the skinny, I think gets, it gets a better rep compared to being chubby. Um, Being chubby, you know, is associated with people sort of thinking that, oh, you know, that girl is sort of, you know, chubby. She's never going to find someone like who is going to marry her like that sort of thing so I think um yeah so there are people on both sides of the spectrum but I think we all always tend to sort of put more focus on the ones that are I guess uh overweight and then you know we label them as being chubby and because of that they won't have good future you know that can be quite scary for anyone who's experiencing that and you know they would obviously believe that and be like oh you know I need to do something and lose this weight fast yeah Mm. I mean, like, even me growing up, like, I was a bit chubbier and brown people are ruthless. Oh, yeah, they are. Like, they're (laughs) so savage. They are savage. They have no filter. They don't take into consideration how certain things can affect you mentally. And so, like, I was a bit chubbier growing up. Um, You know, I was, like, 10. Like, oh, my God. And so many people would tell me that I was chubby and I was overweight, like in Tamil as well. And they don't realize like how it had affected me. Luckily, Mm. like I had good parents who weren't toxic. So it wasn't something that I took to heart too much. But, you know, and then I grew up and, you know, I guess I started working out and I became a bit healthier. And now it's like, oh, you're so skinny now. Like what happened? What happened to you? Exactly. Like like, that's that's the thing I was saying like before, like if you go a certain way, like say if you lose weight, like in your case, you know, they're going to be like, oh, you've lost so much weight. You don't look good anymore. Like what happened to you? You know, I can see your bones and stuff. But like, and then if you, you know, if you gain weight, they're like, oh, you've gained weight. What happened to you? Yeah. Mm. You can never win. (laughs) You just have to do it for yourself at the end of the day. I think that's... Because yeah. if you keep listening to these people, then you're never going to be happy with yourself because they'll never be happy with you. They'll just always have something to complain about. Yeah. Because if I just kept, if I lost weight for the aunties and uncles who used to um, talk smack, now they're telling me I'm skinny. So then you'd be like in your own mind, like, oh my gosh, like, do I need to now gain weight again? Like, yeah, you know, if you're know. just trying to do it to please mm, other exactly. people. But I'm sure like there's so many people who have experienced this that you would have also um you know worked with as well Annika yeah definitely I've I've seen it like happen with myself like definitely like you know when you've gained weight they're like oh you've gained weight and then when you lose weight they're like oh you've lost so much weight your face is like you know like yeah shrunk it's gone in like like like, like, what's happened to you (laughs) eat more it's like here have more Yeah. yeah yeah and then that also leads to toxic diets as well to your point before and fad diets for sure 
Yeah, I think people have this need to sort of because there's all this pressure coming in from the you know, external environment. They have they have this need, you know, to want to lose that weight fast, and they think, you know, if you're losing this weight fast, that's the best way to love your body. Um, being thin is is going to mean that you are healthier. Uh, so I think they have these beliefs that you just need to sort of mm. restrict foods for for a couple of weeks, months, and get those results, and then you're just going to have this, I guess, better quality of life, or you know, you're just going to be superior. That that's the belief that they go with based on what they've been told. Yeah. Mm, right. What would be your message or advice to someone who's experiencing these kind of comments and these kind of thoughts right now? I think the main message would be for them to not get overwhelmed by what they're hearing. You know, these are people just talking. And if you're living, you know, in a South Asian community, it's quite, um, you know, it's quite common for people to be commenting on things. And even if you may be going in the right direction. So, you know, even if you go left and, you know, they'll just be like, oh, why don't you go right? So, you know, and vice versa. So I think there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of, people talking and I think that's always going to be there no matter what you do uh, so I think just sort of acknowledging that and you know just sort of taking control if they're at a point where they are ready to take control and they think you know yes I could do better with my diet but I don't have to lose you know if they think they're maybe 30 kilos you know overweight or something um, obviously you know they shouldn't have a goal to lose all of that you know really quick like sort of that drastic approach but of course you know they can start taking a step in that right direction and they could sort of look towards you know more of that balanced approach or healthier approach taking things slowly and just sort of recognizing um you know what is it that their body needs um and yeah so just sort of going with more of an um internal sort of taking an internal approach rather than just you know following that external approach that we get with diet culture where they're just you know following like a really strict diet and then just you know wanting to lose off that weight really quickly Mm, and purely just to look a certain way rather than actually to your point internally be healthier yeah right yeah for sure and you know body positivity and how we look at body images in our community is definitely a topic that we'll come back to in a future episode but it's definitely interesting getting the perspective of someone like you from a dietary point of view um to see that lens as well um in a world where you know healthy food does cost more and is more inconvenient sometimes to cook what advice would you give to someone who is trying to change their diet and have a more balanced diet the number one advice that i would just tell people is that it's just about getting started Mm. even if you're just you know if you're someone who doesn't eat any veggies, you know, it's just about starting with, you know, one or two that you might like and just kind of building on that as you go. So I think progress over perfection is something that I always talk about. Mm. No one starts from being perfect, no matter what is it that you do. So there's no reason that diet or exercise has to be that way. So even if you're exercising, you know, if you're someone who doesn't exercise and you start with going for a five or 10 minute walk, that's, that's still, you know, that's still a win. Mm. That's a, that's a really good point in terms of when it comes to balancing a good diet with exercise. And um, that's a topic that we'll be talking about in our next episode um, because it kind of relates to what we're talking about now as well. So as a way of closing off today's episode, do you have any recommendations for our audience? Yeah, so maybe um, 
something around a non-diet approach I am sort of really big on going with a more of an internal approach rather than just taking like a diet plan or whatever that you might just get so um like books that I think really help with that one would be um one called intuitive eating so that's just actually two dietitians that they wrote in the US and it's actually very easy to read it's sort of not something that has scientific language involved and then another one would be called just eat it so those are two books that focus more around that non-diet approach um, and then in terms of podcasts there's one called food psych by christy harrison so this one's an american one where uh, they talk about repairing or like mending that relationship with food um, and again going into that non-diet um, culture and i guess talking about that effect that diet culture has on people as well Another one would be an Australian one. So it's called The Mindful Dietitian. Uh, so Fiona talks about the challenges and complexities that people have um, being sort of, you know, body inclusive and bringing that non-diet approach. And I think she usually interviews dietitians. So, yeah. So, again, I think they're all sort of coming from a non-diet perspective. For sure. Yeah, we'll definitely need to check that out. That's yeah, awesome. for sure. Well, thank you so much, Aneka, for your time. We loved having that conversation, especially because sometimes... I mean, speaking from experience, I don't think I always think about how food, you know, beyond health might play into things like my mood and my energy. So it's awesome seeing all the work that you do um, and the impact you're having on so many people's lives from different experiences and different backgrounds. We hope that bringing you onto our podcast um, will help some people in our community think about what they could be doing better in terms of their diet and the food that they consume. So, you know, we really appreciate having you on. Yeah, thank you so much, Annika. And also, we really could have talked to you for hours about this because it's such a big topic. Um, but we will definitely have you on for a future episode, if that's okay, um, to talk more about diet culture in particular because it's just so, so, so prevalent in not just the South Asian community but just in our community in general yes for sure like I would love to come back and I think diet culture is something you know that you definitely can't talk about in I don't know how long we've been talking but you know close to an hour I think you just need to talk about diet culture on its own so yeah I'd definitely love to come back and sure. thanks so much for having me I had such a great time and I feel like there's so much more to talk about could have definitely gone on and on but yeah thanks so much uh, hopefully this is something that people will find to be helpful Thank you so much for listening. Diet and nutrition obviously plays such a big role when it comes to health. So we're very, very thankful for Annika for sharing her experiences in this series. Be sure to check out her amazing content through her Instagram page at Appetite by Annika. Join us next week for part two, where we chat with Janini Beadle from Get Fit Janini on all things fitness. We'll catch you then. Bye.